Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Nicole Thomas, Vice President here at McKinney Flavelle, and today is January 12th, 2023. Happy New Year to those I haven't spoken to yet, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast. And today, I will be playing the role of MC and analyst in Michael's absence. And of course, you know what today is, and if you looked at the markets, after 12 o'clock Eastern time today, you've probably surmised that it's a WASDI day. Yay, always eventful. And with me, who's usually um, enjoying that fun right alongside me, is Eric Thornton, our very own commodity specialist for McKinney Flavelle. How are you today, Eric? Doing well, Nicole. Happy New Year to everybody out there. And, and yes, happy WASDI day. Lot to, lot to dig into, I think, Nicole, today in this one. Yeah, today was uh, pretty interesting. I would say I thought I was worn out by a week in Orlando with a seven-year-old, <laughs> but today's was the may have uh, sent me down that path again. So we can, uh, I guess, jump right into it. Like you said, there's lots to cover. So uh, what do you think? I start here with uh, some corn and soybean, then we'll kick it over to you for a week. Yeah, that sounds like a plan and, and finish it out with some sugar maybe at the end and what do you see out there in, uh, in the corn space for changes today? So, you know, it's funny, you know, overall, I guess the moral of the story is domestic corn ending stocks uh, remain tight. But what was a bit of a shocker uh, was the change to production in, in January, because we love this. They improved the yield. USDA improved the yield by uh, about a bushel per acre, but it was not enough to offset lower harvested acreage which ultimately reduced production by 200 million bushels because, hey, this is a year where we need that, right? And, you know, there were a few changes as far as the, the balance sheet uh, was concerned. And I think probably the one that we've all been anticipating uh, was the reduction of corn exports. We've been trailing the uh, prior projection quite a bit anyway. And now we see that number lowered below 2 billion bushels for the first time since 2019-20. Also had a reduction in feed usage just a bit that probably the combination of the two helped to soften the blow to ending stocks a bit. But we're still, you know, kind of sitting about in the area where we've been uh, with those ending stocks right around 1.24 billion bushels. So obviously still a very bullish uh, stocks to use ratio uh, for the remainder of this year. And I neglected to mention this at the beginning of the podcast, but we also got a grain stocks report today, which is why we've both been so busy this this afternoon, Eric. Oh, yes. So with the grain stocks report, we got corn stocks as of December 1st at 10.8 million bushels. That's a 7% drop from last year, from 2021. Oof. That first quarter, and that was despite lower first quarter disappearance, that was at 4.3 billion bushels. And uh, that was actually down 8% versus last year. But obviously, some of those production issues and those numbers coming in lower than than uh, we had hoped for at the beginning of the 22-23 uh, season helps to confirm that. And probably nothing that anyone really wants to hear, but, you know, 
an indication of likelihood of continuation of strong corn basis values for 22-23. We see that that on-farm stocks represent almost 63% of the total right now, which is near parity with the last two marketing years. And if you remember the last two marketing years, they've they've been uh, pretty consistent with the historically high basis value. So it looks like we're going to keep seeing that. On the global side of things, those ending stocks globally reduced additionally. And this is something we've been talking about uh, month after month here. This time we took it down by another 2 million tons as both Brazilian and Argentinian production were lowered. The Brazilian piece may be a little bit of a surprise because we've been hearing of more or less pretty favorable weather there for a good chunk of the country. But nonetheless, that was lowered by a million metric tons. And in the case of Argentina, it's just a reiteration of of the drought conditions they've been experiencing and in the impact of that on yield as to what is behind that 3 million ton reduction uh, for corn production in that country. Meanwhile, uh, Chinese production was raised by 3.2 million tons. And considering that we also saw nearly 10 million ton reduction of consumption, that's how we've been able to maintain those glo- that global stocks to use ratio and showing slight, still showing slight improvement over next year. It's at 22% versus 21.7% in the 21-22 marketing year. So I think... If we're looking for something to be a little optimistic about, Eric, you and I have talked a lot about La Nina and uh, it's it's supposed to be subsiding here very shortly. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, of its impact on production, particularly for corn, you know, there hope still remains for a really, really good safrina crop out of Brazil. And considering that thus far their weather hasn't been as adverse as that in, in Argentina, maybe down the road here, we can get a little bit of a recovery in that ending stocks number if we can maintain uh, weakness in consumption. Big if, but obviously what everyone's watching. So if I you know, kind of summarize what, what we saw in the report today and what that means for prices, uh, I think, you know, we can probably reasonably confidently say that, you know, excluding any black swan events like uh, an end to the uh, Russian-Ukrainian war or something uh, else, you know, from a headline standpoint coming out, and we're strictly looking at sort of our fundamental scenario, we're probably going to see these old crop futures, at least for the next month or so, trading somewhere between about 660 maybe even 650 ish on the low end and $7-ish on the high end uh, for the old crop futures. And then with the new crop futures, I think we're going to see those values stay pretty close to $6 per bushel. And the reason why I feel so uh, strongly about that is related to the next topic of demand here, uh, the soy side of things. Mm-hmm. So looking at soybean stocks domestically, they fell another 10 million bushels to 210 million, which means at least at this stage, those stocks are down 23% from 21-22. It too, that balance sheet also uh, experienced a reduction in production, Uh, lower yield in this case, uh, sub 50 bushels per acre, uh, reduced production by 70 million bushels. So 
ultimately seeing that supply side continue uh, to weaken here. And when we took a look at the grain stocks report for soy at the beginning of December, those stood at a little over 3 billion bushels, which was down 4% year over year. And, and similar to that with corn, that was with lower disappearance. So first quarter disappearance was 1.53 billion bushels, which was a 4% uh, decline from 2021. Conversely, from uh, the corn scenario, however, processors appear to have a slight upper hand in terms of who's holding the supply, with 51% of those stocks being in the, in the hands of of uh, elevators, processors, et cetera, and the rest in the hands of the farmer. But I will say also that if you look at, you know, this year, this marketing year and last marketing year, uh, in both cases, we've seen stronger on-farm stocks at at that point, that December 1st uh, threshold, than years past, excluding that 2018-19 crop year. So in general, seems producers are holding on to more grain than they did, uh, you know, 10 15 years ago, putting all those recently, or I guess it's been a few years now, but a lot of those new bins in, in good use uh, by storing more, more of that grain. Also worth mentioning for soy, now with this ending stocks value in the U.S. market, arguably we're lower than this or could end the year lower yet from that 210 million bushels. USDA reduced the export demand by 55 million bushels, which some might argue is a, is a little optimistic considering our current commitments of about 1.63 billion bushels are ahead of last year by about 1.96 million tons. And considering Argentina's crops seems to be deteriorating and what they'll have available for export still remains to be seen and not to, to, you know, ring the alarm too much in that, you know, Brazil is projecting a, a pretty large crop for, for 22, 23. Uh, so they may be able to offset some of that loss uh, down the road as well. But at least as it stands now, one could make the case that those ending stocks are going to fall below 200 million bushels when it's all said and done. So speaking of that global situation, soybean ending stocks globally were raised by 200,000 or excuse me, 700,000 metric tons, now sitting at about 1 103.5 million metric tons uh with the stocks to use of uh 20%, so a little bit better than 2122. Uh, and that was despite a 4 million ton reduction in Argentinian production, uh, now estimated by USDA or projected at the U- by the USDA at somewhere around 45 and a half million tons. Uh, so down quite a bit from their 49 and a half in just last month's report. Also preventing a month over month stocks decline in the report. Total demand for 22-23 was lowered by more than 3 million tons. So that combination of uh, lower consumption and a little bit of improvement in production for China of about 2 million tons and for Brazil of 1 million tons helped to lead to that higher stocks uh, scenario. So for soybeans, you know, still, still very tight in the U.S. market. And more on that in a moment as far as what that's going to mean for for pricing moving forward. But before I get to that, let's take a quick look at the soybean oil numbers. Those were left unchanged in terms of stocks for December uh, or versus some, uh, December. 
what changed on today's report was some uh, lowering of the soybean oil exports, which I, I totally agree with. <laughs> you look at our current commitment, commitment, and we're sitting somewhere around 83 million pounds, uh, very far off from you know kind of what our projected uh, number is there. And a little stronger demand in the food, feed, and other industrial category. Another thing I don't disagree with still puts us a, a shade uh, lower than what we saw for 21-22, but that's to be expected with a better outlook for some of the the uh, alternative uh, substitutable edible oils like canola, like palm, which are, have seen uh, tremendous improvement in availability uh, over the last few months and with this 22-23 season. So speaking of that, when we look at the global scenario, uh, those soybean oil stocks were lowered modestly to 4.8 million tons, but that would still be up about 5% from the year prior. And overall, global vegetable oil stocks were lowered slightly, standing at 29.3 million tons, excuse me, uh, yeah, 29.3 million tons. And that included a minor upward revision to total supply uh, to offset a larger increase to total use as well. So I think when it comes to soy and, and soybean oil, the major takeaway I would get from all of this is that the report only reiterates the need for that soy acreage. And to put this in perspective, we've started running numbers internally. And when I when I throw in my my projections for 23-24, in order for us to stay, you know, relatively close to where we are now, uh, we've got to have 90 million acres of soybeans planted and we have to have a yield of about 51 bushels per acre. And that's assuming no, no significant wow. changes to mm-hmm. demand. So, you know, pretty close to where we are today. And we know with more crush capacity online, growing demand for, for uh, renewable diesel, that that crush number is probably going to stay strong or strengthen additionally in the upcoming year. And, you know, we'll see how things kind of play out from a meat protein consumption standpoint, particularly if we're seeing some weakness economically, not just here in the U.S., but also globally, uh, may put a little pressure on things there. Time will tell. But if anything, I what I took away from this is that the next month or so or or really leading up to that prospective planning's report, uh, you're going to see, you know, this competition show out in the in the form of strength and futures for those new crop values, November soy and December corn, to try to edge each other out for for uh, for the acreage, and you know, ultimately running those those corn S and D numbers for 2324, you can see room for, you know, where we're going to improve quite a bit with the stocks. But the bean part is still kind of tough. We're we're going to need that acreage. Hopefully Mother Nature is going to cooperate this year coming out of La Nina. But between uh now and and when the market feels comfortable about that crop, so we're talking June, uh, we're probably going to continue to see this upward volatility until we can kind of work out uh, what those numbers firm up to be uh, down the road. So that's what we got in corn and soy. What you you got for us on wheat, Eric? Yeah, a lot going on uh, in wheat as well, just like you covered there in corn and soy. Uh, Nice job as always. But for wheat, we had the trifecta of reports today with not only WASDE updates, grain stocks, we also had uh, our winter wheat seedings report 
that came out basically outlining what was planted last fall. So getting in quickly to stocks and WASD changes, we did see the balance sheet for 22-23 for wheat decrease slightly for ending stocks by just a, mi- a, a minor 4 million bushels to now 267 or excuse me, 567 million bushels. And no, that doesn't really tell the whole story of, of what happened. And if you look, um, you know, what happened to demand, we actually saw an increase to demand by 33 million bushels with a majority of that coming by way of wheat for feed demand. And interestingly, that category rose uh, all the way up to 80 million bushels from 50 million bushels prior. And I think, you know, when the USDA made that uh, adjustment lower to 50 million bushels back in the fall, uh, it certainly would have been the lowest we've seen in some time. And just, I think it was a placeholder target considering, you know, wheat was was relatively tight, even though corn and soy was still tight. It was not as uh, grim on those balance sheets from a feed standpoint um, versus it was the year prior. But obviously we've seen a little bit more in the way of disappearance there for that feed category. So stocks to use actually tightened uh, even further now from 29.8% uh, reported today versus 30.6% mm. prior for total wheat. So that wow. is uh, the second lowest stocks to use ratio we've had now in the last 15 wow. years for wheat. So again, still very tight. And we did see stocks as of December 1st reported well below the trade gas coming into the report at just 1.28 billion bushels. That certainly was bullish to the market in addition to kind of a tighter current year balance sheet for 22-23. And, you know, really looking back quickly again at that consumption, you know, what kind of changed in those demand areas. We, we didn't see it as much for hard red winter or soft red winter, we actually saw it decrease out of uh, Mm. Durham wheat, white wheat, and then hard red spring. And I think, you know, consumption and demand rose for each of those classes by nine to 12% versus the December numbers. So some of the reason there, I think, again, a little bit maybe more in the way of wheat for feed, obviously with them raising it, the category there. But I think actually, you know, each of those balance sheets were a little bit more well supplied uh, year over year and actually may have increased in the uh, export share out there in the mm. global market, despite mm. that we're, you know, looking at a target today of, you know, lowest in 50 years at 775 million bushels in total. You know, if you kind of dig into the the individual classes, these three in particular, I think, actually saw stronger than anticipated export demand at the hands of um, what's usually very large hard red winter wheat export demand. So that's part of it. Gotcha. And really, you know, the the big bearish surprise, um, which unfortunately didn't translate too much into the way of pricing by way of <laughs> mm-hmm. all the other bullish updates in wheat and corn and soy like Nicole went over, but we did get a whopping 37 million acres planted last fall, according to the report wow. today. So that uh, smashes the industry average guess of 1.2 million acres higher, and we're now looking at uh, 3.7 total million acres higher versus last year. So well above industry expectations. If it does hold on to that number, we would be uh, at a seven-year high for winter wheat acreage, the highest since 2015-16. We have some of the individual breakdowns there on IQ, but 
Seeing the largest increase was soft red winter wheat acres up 20%, uh, just shy of 8 million total. And we saw that hard red winter up 10%, uh, 25.3 million total. So pretty impressive uh, to, to me. And, you know, considering that the highest uh, ex- uh, guess pre-report was only 36.2 million acres. Again, <laughs> right. we're, uh, that was quite a surprise. And, it, and at least, you know, it's going to help set the stage for maybe some optimism of larger production as we look ahead and start, you know, really seeing where the 23-24 balance sheet may play out for wheat. So that uh, was positive and quickly kind of digesting the numbers further. Some of the reasons I think you can point to the increases, a couple things here, that the state with the largest increase to acres was in Texas, rising from Mm. 5.3 million in 2022 uh, versus this year, we're looking at 6.7 million acre. So about a 1.4 million acre increase in that state alone. Uh, If you, if you kind of go back to last year, we actually saw that cotton had had a pretty good increase to acreage in 2022. So probably seeing some early intentions of switching to wheat there, Mm -hmm. making some of those decisions. And then secondly, late last summer and last fall, the USDA had actually come out with some incentives by way of larger insurance premiums for announced last fall to encourage farmers to double crop mm, uh, mm-hmm. winter wheat with that of planting soy, soy yeah. later in the summer. So that actually might be clicking mm. with those farmers out there because if you look at some of those fringe states that they mentioned or where those programs were uh, being announced in, uh, Illinois and Missouri stick out increasing 45% and 35% year mm. over year for wheat acres. You know, not substantially huge in terms of the number of acres, uh, increasing 300,000 for Illinois and 230,000 for Missouri, respectively. But again, you know, that's over a half a million increase right there. And, you know, if they can get this, you know, those crops harvested in June, they can certainly turn that around and plant a, a late soy crop. And again, double crop, take advantage of um, those incentives out there. So I think we're seeing some of that and, you know, that Makes may sense. actually factor into, you know, Nicole's case of seeing stronger soy acres as well in this, this year's spring planting. So that is something to note, but the one asterisk I'll make is even though we are looking at the prospects of much larger winter wheat acres, we really got to be considering how poor especially mm-hmm. that hard red mm-hmm. winter wheat crop is currently yeah. in the drought in the Southern Plains. So even though we get the acres, you know, how many, how much of those planted acres will we actually harvest? So last year we had a, a dismal 70% harvested rate yeah, for winter wheat crazy. acres, which is down from the 10 year average of almost 78%. Yeah. So certainly um, seems that we're on pace at least to do something near that 70 or maybe even worse because again the the ratings currently are some of the worst on record it is still very early we're gonna have to see how the crop comes out of dormancy in march april and you know nicole mentioned as well earlier on la nina we're seeing that kind of fade out at least that may help but we've got to see that crop recover and you know really avoid any more you know winter kill events from cold temperatures etc so even though the acreage is good Hopefully we can harvest, you know, above 70% like we did a year ago. And and maybe we have a chance at rebuilding the balance sheets um, for 23-24. So I think there's a glimmer of hope out there for that. But 
those were, you know, some of the numbers uh, of importance. Again, we've got a lot more on IQ, but market reaction, like I said, was was higher on the day, despite that increase to acreage. And it was really just the uh, overall net bullish changes for the current crop year and seeing some of that influence from corn and soy. So that's that's what I have there in summary on on wheat, Nicole. I got two great things. Well, I got two things out of that. I got number one, even though it's supposed to be a case of sugar and spice and all that's nice, we don't necessarily like that little girl. Maniga <laughs> <laughs> yeah. has not been yeah. kind no. to our market, so she can you know make her way on out. And uh, right. I'll take a neutral Enzo for once and. Hopefully that won't be too weird. And then number two, exactly. <laughs> you made my day about soybeans with with yep. that, that comment. So I, mm-hmm. I got fingers crossed too that that's what they're doing is reaping the benefit of those double crop incentives because we had definitely used the soybeans. Mm-hmm. So that leaves us with one market, Eric. You know, there's a lot of cliches. There's you can't judge a book by its cover. There's, uh, uh, you know, uh, pictures worth a thousand words. There's a few of those, uh, but I would say in terms of the shockers that we saw with some of these other categories, we got one for sugar too. And that came in the form of an increase of sugar production Hmm. now at 9.248 million short tons raw value, which if actualized would be a five year high. But this is pretty interesting to us. <laughs> you know, you're, the reason why I say uh, you can't looks can be deceiving as one of those cliches is because if you look at the balance sheet right now, it would indicate a 14.9% stocks to use ratio for sugar in the domestic market. However, all of us who play in it know that this is not a, a fairly adequately supplied market right now. Mm-hmm. So, that increase to to beat uh, the beat number a bit. I mean, you might make the argument there in certain regions and better sugar content. Some places uh, we've obviously heard force majeure scenarios with with issues with with the beet crop elsewhere. The one that got my attention though was uh, the increase to production in Louisiana. Now, in fairness to the USDA, I'm sure uh, you know the minute one of these reports are put out. The, the next day they're working on crunching numbers for the, for the next month. Right. And so I'm sure a lot of the effort was, was put into this following the December report, probably, you know, like the rest of us took a little time off around the holidays. So I wouldn't get too excited about that proposed increase to cane sugar production just yet, because, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that we've accounted for, the impact of uh, last month's cold snap. And, you know, that cold got pretty far south. I actually took a picture of my weather app just to remind myself that Mm. it is possible to get a minus one wind chill in Atlanta. Uh, (laughs) And Louisiana was another one of those places that saw record-setting cold uh, in that time frame leading up to uh, Christmas. And, you know, I got to I gotta guess, you know, for the stuff that's already been harvested and, and everything was looking, you know, pretty phenomenal prior to that point, should be fine. But anything that was still to be harvested before or after that cold snap came through is probably going to suffer some damage. And with that, this is one of those numbers where I think our listeners should keep uh, an eye open for next month's report. 
uh, and what adjustments are made there as well. And I'll say, you know, just generally speaking, because though that was the 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 big change in that domestic sugar balance sheet, there were also some some uh, minor changes to projected imports, those coming down a bit, and you know, not. nothing changed as far as the deliveries piece. So at least as it stands today, they've got demand seemingly reasonably flat relative to 21-22. So time will tell there. But from a, you know, from a commercial market standpoint, it's still incredibly tight out there. Prices are are very high uh, for any spot sugar needs and anticipating that it's going to remain that way for the foreseeable future, you know, short of any significant decline to consumption uh, that we might see before the end of this marketing year. And so another thing for for listeners, following close the economic data uh, as it relates to sugar, particularly for the U.S., uh, to see how all this plays out in the coming months. Uh, but I say all that to say, don't don't put too much weight on that 14.9% stocks to use ratio. Uh, let's give it some time and see how things settle out. And obviously, again, anticipating things will stay pretty tight for the 22-23 marketing year. So full circle back to uh, La Nina. Let's, let's hope that's done and we can get a good mm-hmm. year of production on the beat side. And, and uh, likewise, uh, improvement, at least down the road for the cane side. And uh, maybe we can see some improvement overall for, for supply by the time we get to uh, 23, 24. But we're still have a long way to go. I'll put it that way. Take it with a grain of salt. Take it with a grain of salt. I, and I have no idea where salt prices are, but they're pretty high, probably pretty high right now, too. So all you can get is a grain. There you go. <laughs> so I think I think that about gets it, Eric. Unless there's Yeah, I'd any- say so. Hopefully people held on to this long. It was a lengthy one. Right. But, uh, <laughs> a lot a lot packed in. Like we uh we talked about before this. We want to just get right into this one. So Exactly. Not Ex- not not often we go past the thirty minute mark, but we felt it was necessary today. Yep. Tons of reports today and a lot of information to digest. And of course, if you have more questions uh for myself, for Eric, for anyone on the team, uh do not hesitate to to reach out. And as Eric mentioned earlier, uh we'll have quite a bit in the way of uh commentary and such on uh IQ later on today, covering all these markets as well. One more thing before I go, because we, you know, considering this discussion we've just had and all this uncertainty and wondering how things are going to play out, what better time than to tune in to a webinar on June 25th or June I'm well ahead. I wish it was June 25th. January 25th. There we go. All right. Hosted by Sean Bingham, our director of risk management. And that is the topic he is going to cover, uh, risk management. And I think it's apropos that you you tune in. There's a reason why we scheduled this one for the first of the year. (laughs) You'll definitely want to tune into that one. Uh, and get his thoughts on on some of the ways you might approach risk management this year in dealing with these markets. That's going to be uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, 11 uh, a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you should very shortly here, if you haven't already seen, uh, see some invites coming into your, your inboxes for that. So, uh, and of course, if, if you're interested beyond that, don't hesitate to reach out to us for, for that registration link and we'll get you all set up. So with that, I'm going to try to get off here before this weather turns bad. Speaking of La Nina, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that will wrap up our, our uh, WASDI commodity podcast. And of course, I want to thank everyone for listening in. And as uh, Mike always says, live with an attitude of gratitude. And until next time, folks, take care. Bye-bye. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favelle.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.